Welcome to the EV Ready Podcast, featuring industry leaders and their perspectives on electrification, hosted by EV Ready Energy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EV Ready Podcast. I'm grateful uh, and excited to have Marie Raphael, National Grid Electrification Program Manager, on the call today to talk a little bit about uh, the the electrification industry, what she's doing at National Grid, and get her take on things. So, Thank you, Marie, so much for for joining. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah, this is awesome. I I love having people on at at the utilities because I think in many cases the importance of the utility isn't always understood tied to the project initially. And and National Grid is at the forefront of progression around electrification and some of the things that the company's doing. So I'm, I couldn't be more grateful to have you on and have a representative of National Grid on to kind of talk about where we are today. Um, but to, to kick it off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history? Sure. So I'm actually a program manager for the uh, Workplace and Public EV Charging Station program that we have. We grew our um, um, our little group. We only had three or four folks. Now we doubled in size for phase three. Uh, but as uh, for me, myself, I started off working uh, for National Grid uh, years ago, I won't say how many, but a while ago, <laughs> uh, back in the uh, before 2000, before the turn of the century, anyway. And I, um, I started off. Um, I had a little bit of a very short stint in customer service, which was great because it really gives you an idea of what customers are dealing with. And from there, I went on to what we called uh, conservation and load management at the time. So it was really it was a brand new program. And uh, it was, we were the first, one of the first utilities while in Massachusetts to offer that uh, rebate programs for putting in energy efficient lighting or energy efficient equipment. And from there, I went on to more of a business, um, you know, working directly with businesses and having a certain group of businesses and dealing with everything from a new uh, construction project coming through their town to the a problem with your bill or a floodlight out at the mayor's house, you know, all those kind of issues. Um, so very well rounded in that respect. And then we reorganized several times. And um, so one uh, from there, I went on to small business, uh, managing some small businesses. And then I became a manager of uh, what we call our project expediter program. And that's a program that's also energy efficiency based, but we hire a group, but we don't hire them because we don't pay them for these services. But we um, go out to bid and we get a group of external vendors who act as a sort of an extension of our own internal sales force, working with customers. And they do everything from helping the customer with the application process to um, installing the equipment, providing it. And then uh, a lot of customers will then um, reassign their rebates to these vendors because it's they don't have to pay that up front and it's, it's a great process. And so it, it works out well. I did that for a number of years and then migrated over to um, our new, at the time, our new EV charging station program uh, in 2019. That's when we began with our phase one and offering it to commercial customers. Um, We didn't offer rebates for DC fast charge stations, but we did for the infrastructure. We did offer rebates for level twos and the infrastructure. So I've been there since we, we just got through phase one and we had a goal of uh, a stretch goal of 680 stations to get installed. And, and we actually just crushed that with 989. So there were a lot, a lot of interest in, in uh, EV charging stations. 
and uh, it, it worked out well. It was, you know, uh, uh, initial program, just getting uh, our feet wet into the that space. And uh, now we just this year were approved a phase a phase three program, very similar, but there's some discrepancies in what we offer. Um, and it's been a slow start because we didn't have a program for a year while we were waiting to get approved. But we're, you know, gradually building back that base and, and hopefully we'll have that hockey stick coming up. Uh, getting so many more charging stations, charging ports installed. Our, uh, just to give you an idea of magnitude, in phase one, it was about 21 million was the program size. And in phase three, it's 206 million. So our goals have increased by tenfold at least, and so has in our budget. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, having participated in your program, it, it, it's just been uh, over the past several years, it's just been, it's been met with so much interest. And it's not shocking to hear the the numbers that you're throwing out there because I know how excited everybody is in the territory about using the program to install charging stations. Um, and and yes, yeah, it's, it's just been great. Tell us a little bit about the the first program, like some of the successes of your first first program, but maybe some things that you were looking to adjust in the second program, and you know how that second program is is sort of materializing right now. Yeah, um, the first program. It was, you know, it was our, as I said, kind of getting our feet wet in that space in terms of offering rebates to customers. Um, you know, what we decided to do right from the outset, which was one of the reasons why I came over, was to uh, go out for an RFP and see if we could get some vendors, you know, in that space. We have internal sales reps that handle, you know, mostly large cost uh, commercial customers. But as you know, a lot of these charging stations aren't necessarily installed there. They might be installed at these smaller uh, mom and pop shops or 7-Eleven or, you know. So it was a great way to expand our own internal sales force. So we, we got, we brought on over 20 vendors to handle Massachusetts and they, you know, took the ball and, and ran with it. And a lot of them came from the EE space, the energy efficiency space, and now we're migrating into EVs. So they knew our programs. They knew, you know, how we structured them. They knew our policies. And so it was a great fit to bring some of those folks over and along with a bunch of new folks over into this space. Um, and that really has worked out the best because, you know, out of all that, uh, all those uh, 989 stations that we paid, um, about 70% of those came from these this group of vendors. We were very instrumental in our program growth. Um, and so, of course, we've <laughs> continued that into phase three because we know how important that is. Phase three, like I said, is tenfold. So I did not think that the percentage of what they carried would be as great because it's just too much. And I just uh, had a meeting the other day and yep, they're at 70% of a <laughs> much larger goal. So they're growing as well. And I think a lot of them have adjusted internally to be able to um, meet those needs. So that was a big thing. Phase one, uh, like I said, we, we worked with a lot of, um, you know, commercial industrial. What we found is the municipal market was really growing in phase one. We had a ton of municipal projects. We also emphasized uh, projects meeting an, an environmental justice criteria. Those projects we paid a little bit more money for. In phase three, we're actually expanding on that even further. Um, especially if you meet what's called an income criteria. There are three criteria, income, el um, income eligible, English isolation, and uh, minority. And if you meet the um, income eligible, 
then that's where the largest rebates are. And that's uh, so, so we're finding now with in phase three, uh, that has also expanded. We had about 40% of customers meeting uh, one criteria in phase one. Now we're at like 60%. So people go where the money is. And also the, the flip side is in phase one, we didn't offer funding for DC fast charge stations. We did for the infrastructure in phase three, we are offering money for DC fast charge and the charts have flipped. We were so far behind with DC fast charge out of the 989 in phase one, only 25 were DC fast charge. It's the exact opposite. Now we were almost at our, at least what we've received for applications, you know, we're at like in four fifths, three, two thirds of our, what we would hope to install. So not paid. Only, only applied for, so it doesn't count until they're actually installed, yeah. which takes a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember participating in that first program, and it, it, at that time, it was 2017. You know, the Model Three was just getting released, or 2018 to 2020, whenever that was. But it was, isn't it crazy how fast things change? Oh, uh, yeah. Or oh my goodness, it's it's just wild, and and it's not surprising to hear because I think. You know, obviously, DC charging is a little bit more expensive, and I think National Grid has shown that they want to build public infrastructure that's available so that people can buy electric cars in the utility ter- territory and other ones that are surrounding it and, and benefiting from the program as well, obviously. Um, but can you help define, for, for people that maybe don't know anything about, about the program and how it's structured, um, wh- what is Make Ready? Uh, what is level two versus level three and how you guys are trying to subsidize charging infrastructure and potential solutions with the program? Sure. Um, There's a lot of questions in there. So <laughs> I'm trying to remember what was the first one, but um, the main I- one is the main one is this. If you can define the program for us uh, <laughs> so that people understand it, that would be great. All right. Well, our, our whole point as a utility is we're, you know, we know this is our business is, is installing electrical infrastructure. So it really makes sense for the utilities to be involved in this space. It, you know, we feel like we're in a perfect position to expedite the installation of charging stations, increasing the number of ports in Massachusetts. Uh, the state has some pretty large targets where they want to get EVs off the road. Uh, it, you know, I think by 2035 is Massachusetts state of only selling EVs. Um, in it, as a company internally, we're also right in line with that. And we're converting over our own fleet to, to um, electric vehicles. And we have a goal of, I believe it's 2030 to convert them all over to electric. Everybody's in that, you know, in that mindset now. And, and it's like you see in that hockey stick starting to rise. If you look at maps of Massachusetts, where the EV drivers are, and you're seeing in some cities and towns, it's up to 30%. Um, so in others, it's it's a lot lower. But so our, our whole purpose was to, you know, really clean up those greenhouse gas emissions. How can we get involved? And, you know, transportation is, is the biggest contributor. So that's what we feel we can, we can really make an impact. Um, so the way our program works is we provide funding for installing EV charging stations. And, and Chris, you referred to um, Make Ready. I don't really, that's a weird term, Make Ready. What does that mean? It's it's really the installation. It's it's really, uh, you know, the trenching, uh, getting your property ready to install an EV charging station. So if you think about, you know, the work that gets done 
bringing it to where your um, your panel might be or your services to the charging station itself. So we're looking to pay about 100% of that or up to 100% of that cost for the customer. We do have cost caps right now, which is 5,700 if you don't need a new service from National Grid, 6,700 if you do per port, per port. So like a dual port station, and this is on the commercial side, would be up to 13.4 for the installation. And then on top of that, we're providing funding for the stations themselves. Um, and it really depends on if you're a municipality, this is where it gets stickier than it was in phase one. And, and, and the reason why it gets a little stickier is because in phase three, we want uh, the state wants all these programs to look similar. So we got together with Eversource and Unitel, and we're trying to have the same program guidelines. In phase one, um, we offered funding for level two stations. Eversource did not, and uh, except for in environmental justice community. So when we came together now, okay, so do we offer money for the charging stations? Is that part of our proposal or not? And we compromised, and for municipalities, we will for ports, and it's where it gets sticky, like I said, for ports three through 10. For non-municipalities, for ports five through 10. So we are paying, uh, we are funding some of the ports, but if you're installing 10, 20 stations, we may not be providing funding for all the stations, although on the make radio or the infrastructure installation side, it doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're funding anything from zero to 20, 30, however many ports you want to install. So it only affects the charging station costs. And, and the majority of the costs are actually in the installation anyways. So um, that's the good news, you know, that we're, we're covering such a large part of that cost. We're also offering in phase three a stipend for networking. We do require these projects to be networked, especially um, if we're in order to receive a rebate for the station it has to be publicly accessible. So for publicly accessible stations, we also offer a stipend for, for networking. And it's 480 a port, which is supposed to cover $120 stipend for up to four years. So, you know, why do we require it to be networked? It's really, you know, if you're not networked, there's a lot of things that you can't do with the station. Probably, you know, if it, if, if you're installing a, a small station at a, you know, a, a residence, probably a level one station, that's a very slow uh, trickle station, but some are installing level two stations, you don't need networking. For commercial customers, for publicly accessible customers, you should have that because there's there, there's so much, and I know Chris can speak to this better than I about you know how you are able to charge for using the station, how you're able to tell somebody, okay, your car is charged, you can can you leave so somebody else can use the station now? You know, there's all kinds of things that you can incorporate in there. And as a utility, we're not looking for specific individual uses. We're we're trying to really look at trends. And so without that networking information, it's like, like a subscription, you cannot, um, you know, we, we wouldn't know, are these stations that we're investing so much money in, are they actually being used? I mean, we want to make sure we're getting, you know, what we're paying for. And if they're not, if there's one segment that just doesn't use them, one, you know, maybe, maybe we have public multi-unit dwellings and fleets and uh, workplace is our general categories. Somebody installed them, we paid for them, nobody's using them or something like that. So we, we just want to really look at that information, look at trends. Should we restructure our 
our rates. There's all kinds of things we look at when when looking at that information. So I'm really going way down the road. Here. No, this is exactly why you're on. I, I appreciate it, Marie. Like that, this is good information. Um, my other question for you is this: How does the state's program tie into your program, and how do you work with the state? So the state has, um, th- there's some funding that they offer for for buses and for other things, but there's there's a couple of the, the largest state program we're working with a lot that we um, um, coordinate with is called Mass EVIP. Mass EVIP is, is a organization out of the department, Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection. And they offer rebates as well, or they offer funding. And typically the way it works is if you are a national grid or ever source customer, and um, you know we require you to apply for public funding, the state wants you to apply, the DPU wants you to apply for public funding, because if the funding comes from Mass Eve, it, it, it reduces the load on our own ratepayers who are responsible for funding our programs. So, you know, it makes sense that you would need to apply for public funding first uh, or at the same time, I should say. What happens with that is if you're approved, uh, they have similar programs, then we would deduct whatever you're approved from from our calculated rebate. So if there, there's a we work together with them. They provide us with reports so that we know what uh, customers are being funded. But it's a great way, again, to reduce the impact on our all ratepayers, or you know, it actually could help us get more stations installed um, because you know we we could use that budget more efficiently. So you do you do need to apply for Massey if, if you're eligible. Not everybody's eligible. A customer has to have at least 15 employees, I believe. You can go on their website and find out what all their eligibility rules are. But it is um, a good place to start. You know, I always tell customers across the country that, you know, if you can, if you can try and find the the right time to make your investment, because sometimes this can be really expensive. And Massachusetts is kind of the, the shining example right now of state and utility working together to help electrify and and make it easier to make that transition. So that's why I want to go through that just because it, it really is unique. And if you are looking to install charging stations in Massachusetts, there there really is no better time than right now, but also it's probably the most lucrative circumstance in the United States. You know, we have a, a national grid ever source in the state to 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 think for that. So my next question for you, Maurice, sort of jumping away from from national grid and that specific program. But obviously, like National Grid has other counterparts across the country that are doing similar things that you're learning from, you're maybe taking some things from, maybe they're taking some things from you. What are what are some of the the, the other things that are happening in the industry that sort of shape how you think about things? Oh, that's a loaded question. I'm I'm a little bit more pictured into the the what we're actually doing. But you know, we do know that uh, we were one of the first to do a pole-mounted demonstration. We did a pole-mounted pilot in phase one, where we know it's really important. How access to charging stations is key, and so if you live in an apartment building and you just have on-street parking, where are you going to charge your? You know, where are you going to charge your vehicle? It's not encouraging you to get one if you don't know where you're going to. What are you going to park it down the street or wherever? You know, so. Um, we did a, a pole-mounted project where we had uh, charging stations installed on poles, and you know the the um, um, hoses. What do you call those? They come down, 
and and you could charge your car and then you know we tried them because it was one at a golf station so it was kind of cool just to watch it come down you plug it in your car you know it's a level two station you know you get an hour or two out of it you top your, your car off and you're all ready to go so we did that in Melrose, and I believe there are about 15 of those installed. Uh, we got a lot of attention from that. I think it was in the Globe as well. It was uh, on a lot of news articles. And, you know, because it was, it's really one of those, um, you know, the, that's a customer we need to address. You know, one of our most important customers is the multi-unit dwellings. Um, the other thing we're looking at doing uh, this year is we're looking at how can we in areas that are a little bit more uh, constricted with uh, capacity constraint, you know, how can we get charging stations into those areas? So that's something we're looking in phase two as kind of a, a development project. What are we looking for? You're looking for no charging in the area within a mile, for example. You might be looking for where there's a lot of multi-unit dwellings or something like that, where there's a lot of demand for charging how can we mix that with you know solar charging battery storage so we're looking at uh at you know in in in, and in the future we only have funding for so much uh, of these kind of demonstrations so uh but that that's one of our off things for for phase three you know i think it's so interesting like utilities are in such a strong position to influence and test new things out that we haven't tried before and let's face it we are before we say this we're in the wild, wild west right now, and it's important to to test out new solutions to figure out what makes sense. Like multifamily use cases are just more challenging than other ones to get people to buy electric cars. And uh, I love that. Where in Melrose can people go if they want to see that use case? <laughs> well, there's one at Hood Golf Course, so you can check that out next time you go golfing. Uh, and they're they are on you know different streets in Melrose. You, you got to look up, but pay attention while you drive. <laughs> well, I, I am I am going to go check one of those out. That's that's really interesting. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is is related to demand charges, right? Demand charges is like this inconvenient truth uh, that uh, exists, and it's it's understandable why demand charges exist. They make sense. I think most people aren't aware that they exist, and once you explain what they are. Um, and just so so the viewers know, demand charges are a charge on an electric bill for a, generally a commercial electric bill where you're, you're paying for the peak uh, amount of power you're using in any given month, the peak 15 minute interval. And the reason why it's challenging for EV charging stations is because of the load profile of charging stations, especially when it's tied to an existing building load or something like that, where you have peaks in power. Sometimes for fast chargers, those peaks are multiple Walmart supercenters at one time. And then maybe the stations aren't used for a while. So it's just this really unique load profile. And sometimes it can be a little bit more expensive on the electric bill. And I know that National Grid and Eversource have been working with the with the state to come up with a, a, a rate that could potentially help customers on the demand charge side. So I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about that for a second. Sure. So we did come up with an approved rate now. It's been approved, I think, in July. It's a demand charge alternative rate. And essentially what it, you know, as, as Chris explained, it's really... It's looking at trying to mitigate those peaks that so that a customer doesn't, you know, it's got customers and discouraged from uh, installing EV charging station. It's typically for, um, it makes the most sense for customers who have 
you know, DC fast charge, those level three stations, because they draw the most electricity. You have to be at least a 50 kW station, which is a small station. But, you know, you think of the level two stations that somebody might have in a, for a commercial building or some even have at their homes are anywhere from six to 11, maybe even up to 19 kW, just to give you an idea. But most of them would be in that like six to 11 kW range. So a DC fast charge is that much bigger. And you might see some upwards of 300 kW on, you know, on the, on the highway, uh, the highway corridor at those convenience stops. So, you know, that's the concern. If somebody charges their car for at least 15 minutes, it's going to hit that peak for the month. So we developed a rate, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, you have a lot to balance it because there's a lot of infrastructure on the utility side involved, a lot of costs involved in order to support that station. You know, we really, as a company, we really have to make sure that those costs are covered. So that's that's one thing we, we have to balance against the cost to the customer. But for the demand charge alternative, and like I said, you might have one or two DC fast charges that you're separately metering, or you might have a bank of, you know, 10, 20 level two stations. As long as they're separately metered, then you would be eligible for this rate. And it doesn't matter if you install these through our program or if you installed them before, as long as they're separately metered, it's a 10 year program. So we're into about six months into the first year. So there's plenty of time left to sign up, but we, uh, we look at your load factors. So it has to do with what your usage is, you know, uh, during the day versus overall what your usage is during the month. And if your load factor is less than 5%, then we're going to uh, provide a 100% demand charge discount. So we're going to take care of that. The first year, we're just going to provide 100% no matter what your load factor is. But uh, in years one and, uh, you know, years after that, then we will provide a discount and it goes down. The discount starts to to drop a little bit in percentage wise until you hit 15%. Once you hit a 15% load factor, then the, the discount goes away because it makes much more sense. You're spreading those kilowatt hours over the whole month and that's what you should be paying for. Um, it, it, you're, you know, the stations are being used as it is designed. So, um, you know, it's, it, it yeah. makes much more sense. Yeah, I love the National Grid's doing that. And I think this is going to be used across the country uh, as an example of how utilities can make it easier for station owners to make investments in EV charging that are serving their employees, that are serving their customers at their location. So I, I love that this is happening. And if anybody ever wants to understand that load factor calculation or um, or understand tariffs. It's certainly something if you reach out to EV Ready, we can we can have a discussion about. Um, but I, I love the strategy. It makes all the sense in the world and it's leading the way. So thank you. Maria, I just have one last question for you. You know, you've been in the industry in the most interesting time. Well, as if I, but you have the most interesting perspective where you're working with so many different companies that are out there right now. And and you know better than anybody that there are always new companies entering the industry that are you know doing certain things. So without you know naming any names or or any putting anyone in a negative light or or mentioning you know brands, could you talk a little bit about some of the things that you really like that you're seeing, and then some of the things that you think could be improved by the charging vendors in general? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we do, we have a process where we onboard charging stations. If, if, if there's a customer as a national grid customer, you have to use one of the stations that's on our eligibility list and that's on our website. 
And if it's not there and you want to use another station, you can do that. You just have to apply through an RFP process. It's um, They just have to fill out some paperwork. So we are looking for things, for example, those that are easily networked. We found there's some stations that aren't, you know, aren't always compatible on the networking side uh, with this, the station itself. And there's been some issues with that. So we want to make sure that we're able to collect that um, networking information. That's why that's important to us. The key thing is the uptime. We don't, we don't want to have stations out there. We don't want to get complaints, of course, but I mean, we want the complaints. We want to know, but we're hoping that we yeah. don't get complaints about stations not being operational because that discourages anybody from from purchasing an EV. So that that is really a key component. And so again, we, we vet these stations out there are certain qualifications that they need to meet and uh, to be on our, our eligibility list. That doesn't mean that some of them you might have a, a, a separate, you know, a, a different problem with. And so, uh, and without naming names, I know we did have a problem with one of them last year. And that, you know, it's funny because word gets around and everybody just stopped buying that equipment. Um, and and then you know and moved on to um, some, but we have all kinds. Some that have the the whole you know the panel inside the building, and then they just have a you know a couple of it's very easily accessible, so you don't have to put bollards to protect them. Then we have the traditional ones that that we you see installed that look like kind of like boxes with the two um, plugs on both sides. So you know we we like to see that they're operational again. And we, we find out because we collect networking information. And if all of a sudden we're not getting the networking information anymore, we know that the station is not operating and we reach out what's going on. Why aren't we getting networking information? So, so that's, you know, again, that's, that's really the most important thing is that they're, they're working and, and they're compatible. And, and our, you know, we're looking for stations that are compatible with every car. That's one thing is, you know, we have that uh, we weren't able to offer uh, rebates for Tesla stations because they're only good with Teslas. And, you know, this is a public program. You know, all our repairs are paying for it. So we want to make sure that um, accessibility is is key as well. You know, you, you just hit on such an important point. I think like generally when you're when you're not in the EV space and your boss tells you you got to go find a charging station and figure out how to get it paid for in some way. Um, if you're not in the industry, you probably assume that this is what I would do is that an electric plug works as well as a gas plug. But I think the reality is gas stations are 100 years old and they're at the you know end of the growth of their technology, whereas charging stations are in its infancy and so many companies are entering the space right now that sometimes maintenance and uptime can be a little bit of an afterthought. And it's almost impossible to pick one company for a program. You want to make sure that you have optionality, but but also making sure that those stations that you're saying are approved are being supported. It's it's a challenging up, uptaking, I imagine. And I think for anybody who's looking to install charging stations, I think it's important to talk to an expert to, to understand the dynamics of different charging stations and how they're made and how they're supported and, and, and the details of the, the warranty that's being offered and who's um, executing on that warranty and all those different things. But I, I love that you brought that up because that is a, a real challenge in the industry that I'm sure you're trying, you know, trying to wipe out as much as possible for your program. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, the other thing is, as you were talking, I was thinking about the other thing that we're pretty happy about is that, you know, we feel like we're making a difference in the whole space in terms of more jobs, you know, more jobs, bring on more jobs, because we don't say you have to use this vendor or that vendor. You can use whoever you want. Yes, we have a list of vendors that participate, but you can use whoever you want. Um, you know, some utilities say, no, you just have to, we're only using, you know, this, these two vendors or three vendors or whatever that, that has been great. And the, and the thing is, is we're not saying to anybody, you can only use this station or this station or this station, as long as you provide us so that, you know, the manufacturer can provide us with the information we're looking for and it passes what we're, you know, our review, then that's, you know, that's fine too. So we're, we're trying to be, you know, as we call it agnostic, possible, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and just and, and invite everybody into this space and uh, everybody who has, you know, has the capability to be in this space, but you know, with some vetting, of course. But uh, and that's really, I think, been why we did so well in phase one as well. Yeah, I mean, everything from a from a guy in Boston uh, who's been in the industry I you've done a great job national grids done a great job and um, definitely grateful to have such a progressive utility in the state I think that that is all the time we have now so Marie thank you so much for joining really appreciate it and uh, no one else probably knows this Maria and I go to the same coffee shop so I'll see you at, I'll see you at Zoomy soon okay <laughs> thank you Chris thanks for having me. 